You're listening to Asbury University's Chapel Podcast, recorded live from our campus in Wilmore, Kentucky. Asbury's Chapel Service hosts speakers from around the world to inspire academic excellence and spiritual vitality. We hope you enjoy today's message. Dear God, thank you for bringing us together today just for um, a moment of worship with you, God. Um, we pray over the speakers today, God, that um, we would just hear you, you through the stories that they're sharing, God. Thank you for the way that um, you've been good in their lives, Father. Um, and we just thank you for um, even rainy days, God. Um, may this day be for you, Lord. We love you so much. In your name we pray. Amen. To introduce today's chapel speakers, um, you will hear from not one, but three of my pretty close friends. Um, yeah. <laughs> Um, the first we'll be hearing from is my lovely roommate, Alex. Um, <laughs> woo! Um, she, you can often see her um, actually working chapel many, um, many days of the week, and she works so hard. I'm so proud of her. Um, we actually fall into the freshman, like random freshman turned best friend category. Um, we were just randomly put together as roommates, and now we're best friends. Um, <laughs> I'm very blessed for that. Um, she has such an amazing heart and an incredible story, and I'm hoping you'll listen to her today as she um, tells you all about it. The next two speakers will be my boyfriend, Jerry, and my dear friend, Lena. Um, they are going to be doing a joint testimony about something that happened last semester, um, and it was a very big deal in my life. It was something I was um, praying for um, very deeply, and. It touched me a lot, so I hope it touches you as well. Um, so, without further ado, I would like to welcome Alex to join the stage. Right. Well, good morning, everybody. Um, Tara already introduced me, but for those of you who don't know me, my name is Alex. Um, and my story today starts in a place that is probably similar to a lot of people's stories in this room. I had the privilege of growing up in a Christian family, um, and my family was part of a Christian church, and probably also like a lot of us in this room, my church was so important to me. Um, it was a beautiful community of people that I knew and who had known me for all of my life. Um, I felt like I belonged there. I knew what to expect. It was my home. Um, in addition to that, my family was really involved in my church. We were volunteering. My mom was volunteering as part of the worship team for as far back as I can remember. Um, my sisters and my dad and I also volunteered in many different capacities, again, since I was really little. Um, and my mom was actually even on staff as a worship leader for several years. Uh, so my church was really, really important to me, and it was a beautiful part of my life that I really loved. Uh, when I was about 17 years old, things in my church started to change really quickly. Um, for the sake of time and privacy, I won't go into all the details right now about specifically what happened, but if any of you have questions about it, please feel free to ask me. I'm always happy to share my experiences. Um, what I will say right now is I witnessed a lot of manipulation and specifically abusive power from leadership in my church. Um, and the people who were most severely impacted by that were my family and the people that were closest to my family. Um, I still remember the day, the specific day that it all kind of came to a head. It was March 5th, 2021. It was a Friday night. And uh, at first, something kind of just felt off. 
Um, like I mentioned, my mom was on staff at the time and she had been kind of upstairs on the phone for a long time that day and I didn't really know what was going on. But when she came downstairs, uh, I could see that she had been crying, which as a kid to like watch your parent cry shakes you to your core so deeply. That's how you kind of really know that something is wrong. Um, and as we all sat around the dinner table that night and she talked us through what had been happening and what was going on. Um, I kind of felt this just sense of dread like seep into me, like surely this can't be happening, surely this is not happening. Um, I didn't really know what was going on, but I felt like the foundation of my world had started to crack. Throughout the next weeks and months, my life was filled with so much grief and so much loss. Uh, I, I, a lot of the time, didn't even feel like I knew what was going on. Um, my family ultimately made the decision to leave that church after a few months, and it was the hardest thing I have ever been through in my life. Um, a place that had once been so beautiful and so safe and so much like home, all of a sudden was not safe and not just. And the people that I loved had been so deeply hurt by this place that, and these people that were supposed to be safe. Um, there are no words to describe the feeling of choosing to walk away from everything you've ever known. Uh, even when you know that it's the healthy and the right thing to do to leave, it is still so hard. Uh, so shortly after we left my church, uh, I came to Asbury. I showed up here a deeply wounded 18-year-old who uh, I felt alone. I felt like I had just lost everything. Uh, I couldn't even sit through a chapel or a church service because it felt so painfully reminiscent of everything I had just lost and everything that had just turned out to be so unsafe and so unhealthy. Throughout that, my freshman year and even my sophomore year, I visited churches occasionally, but I never felt like I belonged. I never felt like I wanted to be there, and I had a really hard time even just being in a church or in a church environment. Uh, I never stopped believing in God, but I felt like I couldn't find him. And I felt so isolated as in the middle of a thriving Christian community here, being someone who couldn't even sit through a church service. Um, in addition to just being lonely and, and processing all of the hurt that I had been through, I was so angry. I had all this anger and all of this bitterness and I was clinging to it desperately because it felt like as long as I was angry, there was some measure of justice. And as at, at the same time that I so desperately wanted to be okay when I wasn't ready yet, I also felt like it wasn't, I couldn't be okay. Because if I was okay, then it would mean that what had happened to me was okay. So I held on to my anger like a lifeline, like it was what was keeping me alive. I don't have a date and time for you for when things started to change. I wish I did, um, but it wasn't that simple. Uh, towards the end of my sophomore year, I felt just so tired. Um, I felt really silly because by that point it had been two years since I had left my church and I was still carrying this grief with me every day. I still wasn't going to church regularly and um, it felt like I should have gotten better already and the fact that it hadn't gotten better already meant that it wasn't going to. Um, if you'll indulge me for a moment, I want to tell you a story about my mom really quickly. I could stand up here and brag about my mom all day long, but I won't do that. Um, I promise this is relevant. I will keep it brief. Um, but my mom, 
Ever since she was a little girl dreamed of flying airplanes. That was what she knew she wanted to do with her life. And she went to school for it, and when she graduated, she flew for an airline up until the time I was born. And once I was born, she stopped flying and she didn't go back. Um, she made the decision to stay home and raise her family. My, sis my two younger sisters were born, and she, she chose to stay home with us and not return to her career. And um, she had to come to terms with it and make peace with the fact that while she had had the chance to live out her lifelong dream for a little while, that chapter of her life was closed and she wasn't going to get it back. Um, and so if you fast forward from there, um, around the time when we made the decision to leave our church, my mom had been working at the church and so she left her job at the church. And almost immediately after, God opened the right doors at the right time and introduced her to the right people. And one thing led to another and she actually was able to go back to her career of flying after 20 years. And so today she's an airline pilot again. And my family and I are all so proud of her. And like I said, I could brag about her forever. Um, but for me, when I was in that place of feeling like I couldn't see the light at the end of the tunnel and I didn't know the end of my story and I didn't know what God's promises would look like for me, I had this realization that I looked at my mom and what had, what had been done for her and I realized she could not have had her, her dream back if she hadn't first lost our church because she couldn't have gone back to that career if she hadn't stopped working at our church. And so when I saw how fully and how beautifully God had redeemed my mom's hurt, that was enough for me to believe that he would redeem mine too. Um, it was a slow change, it happened over time, but towards the end of last semester and over the summer I started feeling for the first time in years like I wanted to go to church again. Um, I still don't have a home church here or back at home, but I go to church and I want to be in church. I'm involved in my community um, in ways that I never thought I would be able to again. And most importantly, when I am in a church, and I find something that reminds me of the church that hurt me. Where I once would have responded with rejection, I'm now, God has given me the ability to respond with grace and to respond with patience. Um, I didn't understand what was going on and it took longer than I wanted it to. But when I look back, I can see that God always was working and always was in control. And ultimately, no matter how much it hurt to lose the things that I lost, he was taking away from me the things that were unhealthy for me. Um, <clears throat> as I look back to the time when I was 18 and I was just starting to process all of this and starting to figure out what was, what was going on and how to move forward, I wish, I wish so much that I could talk to my 18-year-old self and tell her that it's going to be okay. Um, but the fact of the matter is that if I could, if I could say those things to my 18-year-old self, she wouldn't have been ready to hear them. Um, she, she wanted to be angry because it felt like that was what was, was keeping her alive. And um, I think that the time that I spent being angry was an important and a necessary part of my story. I couldn't, I wanted to force being ready to come back and being ready to be okay again when I just wasn't. 
and um, the period of time where I was angry and I was bitter, I needed that time. I needed that time to hold those emotions, to feel my hurt, and to, to, to understand the depth of what I had lost before I would be ready to, to heal. And so, in the spirit of looking back to my 18-year-old self, um, I, I wrote a letter to my 18-year-old self of things that I, I hope she might have actually been able to hear. Um, and I wish I could read it to her, obviously I can't, but I will read you guys a little excerpt. And in that letter I wrote, you will spend countless nights and several dozen Sunday mornings begging God to tell you when it will get easier. And his answer will be not yet. This will sound like never, but it's not. So the point I wanna to make today, and the reason why I am willing to stand up here and tell you all my story, is because I know that there are other people in this room who have lost something. And I know that there are other people in this room who've been hurt by the church or hurt in some other way. And I know what it feels like to carry that grief with you throughout your life. Because the fact of the matter is, even when you are better, the grief doesn't go away. There are still times when it comes back. And there are still times when I miss my church and I miss being a part of my community so much. Um, so I want anyone in this room who's in that same place, if you can't see the light at the end of the tunnel, to know two things. First of all, there is no grief, no loss that is so great that God cannot redeem it. He will. But secondly, and equally as importantly, it's okay if you're not ready yet to be okay. Sometimes you need to be angry for a little while before you can get better. And that's not wrong, that's okay. God's still working, God still sees you, you're never abandoned, even when you can't find him. Um, it's, it's okay if, if you're still in that place and you just need to feel what you're feeling and process what you've been through, process what you've lost. It's okay. Take that time. God is still working, even when you can't find him. Thank you all very much for listening to me. Uh, and now I want to bring Jerry and Lane and my dear friends up on stage to tell their story. I promised I wouldn't cry, but that didn't work. Anyway, yes, okay, anyway. Uh, good morning, I'm Lena, this is Jerry. Um, this morning, we're gonna tell a story. Um, why are you timing this? Anyway, sorry. Uh, this morning, we're telling a story, um, kind of of our friendship and how it has evolved, um, and how if it were not for the grace and love of Christ, we would still be strangling each other, so. Very much so, so. At the start of this story, it was back in uh, spring semester of 2022, and um, that's when I first dated Tara. And that's how I first met Lena, because Tara's a friend of Lena. And I've seen her around before, but I never really paid attention to her. You know, why would I talk to her? You know? <laughs> so fast forward, <laughs> that's not important, to a fall semester of our sophomore year. So when everyone gets back on campus, we form what we call the Terry family, you know, Tara, Jerry. Boom. I coined that term. Yeah. And we would sit together at lunchtime and have questionable conversations. And, you know, through all, that's when I like first start intensely talking with everyone around the friend group. Uh, we have, you know, hot topics, you know, argued around the group, but I personally try to avoid those because I don't want to start argument within a group that would potentially ruin the relationship. So from all the family dinners and gatherings, I learn more about Lena. 
you know, I thought she was very emotional, I, and she held questionable opinions about certain topics. And yeah, <laughs> certain words from Lena just made me judge her. Oh, also, they're supposed to be pictured, shown to you guys. And that's the first picture we ever taken, which is quite, you know, and that's Alex in the back, if you can tell. Two, <laughs> two redheads in your family, that's not a good it's sign. scary. <laughs> yeah, and that's more pictures from the fall semester. It's very cute. See, we were friends once. Exactly. Sort of. Yeah, no. And I just thought she had, you know, questionable opinions on certain topics. In my mind, she is a rude, liberal redhead who is always <laughs> negative, and I see myself as someone who is polite, well-educated, <laughs> and always have correct answers. So I think I'm better than her, and I, oftentimes I let myself, you know, righteousness get in the way. So even though there were potential crises laying within the friend group, I tried to hide it and avoid it. I don't want to break the relationships, and because these were friends of Tara, and I, according to my culture, I try to be polite and tactful, and inside I have all kinds of complaints about Lena and the friend group. So toward the end of spring, oh, those are family dinners, by the way. That meal costs 170 bucks. <laughs> we eat well, okay. Yeah, we eat well. <laughs> anyway, so by the end of the first semester, we, we decided to take a family picture, you know, and that's people from the family. And you know, with every quality good photo, there has to be a crazy one, right? Great. Look, how crazy we are. But if you look carefully, <laughs> who would thought that picture has perfected powers, you know? Anyway, so winter break came. Winter break created distance. When we came back, things felt different. I've been holding complaints about people around me for the longest time, and I've reached the point inside where I just can't hold it anymore. So I started to treat people horribly around me in the name of justice and fairness, I returned eye for eye and tooth for tooth. It was a miserable time for me. So every time someone mistreated me, I get revenge, and it usually works. And that's not what a Christian is supposed to do. I had no love within me. Yeah, so this was um, the beginning of last semester. Um, I was in a really weird spot. A lot had gone down, I was not doing well. Um, also, this is like a side note that might be a little bit important. I had just gotten in a really bad wreck, and so my brain was like not here. Um, and so I was kind of just acting. Listen, I wasn't nice, but I was less nice. Um, just because, like, okay, thank you. <laughs> just because, like, my brain wasn't fully here. And so um, I was just like going through a lot. And Jerry and I, we both have very big personalities, if you can't tell. Um, and sometimes those kind of like, beat against each other. Mars against Earth, you know, Right, collide. right. Anyway. Um, <laughs> and so like, it's really easy for us to just like, get at each other. Um, and we're both very passive aggressive. Um, but so just like throughout a lot of January, it was just like a ton of like, passive aggressive conflict. Like Jerry and I would just like make slights at each other. And like, I was just like, I don't wanna be around this kid. He's being mean to me. Am I being mean to? Yeah, that's not important. He's being mean to me. I don't want to be around him. Um, and also, at this point, I started hanging out with another group of friends because I was supposed to be on block, but I'm not. Anyway, um, and so I like kind of disappeared from the friend group, um, not totally intentionally, but like sort of. Um, but like, the hatred was mutual. Exactly. So during this time, I started to read Bible at Tara in the morning in the library, and 
praise God for that. And God had pointed out through his word that I have spiritual problems inside of me. And I knew that, but attempts to fix it has not worked at all. So spiritually, I was struggling. In a way, I felt like Jacob wrestling with God. And I started to have doubts whether God is going to actually do anything or not, because it doesn't seem like it. And the friend group is pretty much in pieces now. And I would only hang out with Tara, Alex, and my sister, because these people know me, and they share my best interest. And Lena right now, as she just mentioned, is probably out of, pretty much out of the group right now. And I stopped talking to her, and I try my best to avoid her. And during lunchtime, as she mentioned, she would sit with someone else, her other friends, and I would just sit usually by myself with, with my sister. And, but then, guys, but then, revival happened. Boom. Yeah, so revival happened, which was crazy for me. Um, it was, like, huge in so many ways, but, I mean, you all lived it. But uh, for me, it was just, like, I was holding on to all of this anger and grief, and finally I was able to, like, hand it over to God. I don't know how that happened. I can't tell you. That is literally just God. He's awesome. Um, but, like, so revival for me, it was just, like, I was able to just hand over all of this, everything that I was holding on to, and there was this, like, great freedom to that that I'm still living into, which is awesome. Um, but I just remember, like, being in, in Hughes, seat B8, if you were there, you know, um, and, like, just sitting there, like, ah, I wish my friends were here. Like, specifically Jerry and Tara, because I was like, listen, love you. You have issues. I was like, it'd be awesome if he was here to, like, feel the love that I'm feeling. Um, and Tara, everybody always wants Tara everywhere where they are, so, duh. Um, and so just, like, all of Revival, I was just kind of wrestling with that. I was, like, praying so much. I was like, God, like, why aren't they here? And, like, can you, if, if you can't bring them here, will you show up for them in some way? Um, little did I know he would end up answering that. Yeah, so... Lena's life was flipped by the revival, and Tara was the first to notice. So during me and Tara's late night conversation, she would tell me how much Lena has changed. And I, of course, am suspicious about such changes. And I personally did not attend much ser uh, service at all because I'm a STEM major and we're busy. <laughs> and yeah, and also, I just feel like revival is for sinners from all over the world. And I am a saved person, so I don't need revival. <laughs> So I would tell Tara whenever she talks to me about it, I would be like, well, it is, the, it, is, it is not the healthy who needs a doctor, but the sick, and fully unaware that I am sick. So life like that went on, and I thought this is it. I should probably make new friends, and because I don't, have, I don't want to have anything to do with her, and more bad interaction happens because I you know, refuse to acknowledge her change, and whatever happened to Lena, I was convinced that she was the same and nothing happened. So at all this, throughout all this time, Tara has been telling me, Lena has changed, she has changed. And my answer is always like, yeah, yeah, sure, she changed, you know. And then, come to the end of the semester. Right, so at this point, I am like off the face of the earth, nobody's seeing me unless they're at WGM. Um, I was spending like, most of my time there just like hanging out with people who had had similar experiences that I had at Revival, just trying to learn how to like live into like, really? That's the, okay. <laughs> just trying to learn how to like live into like this new reality that I was living in. Um, and so I was spending a lot of time around people who had like lived that with me. Um, and so at this point I was like all in for Jesus, you know? You know, you know when they're like, hey, there's wham, hey, there's this stuff going on. Okay, I don't care, but you get a flex credit, I'm in. I'm here. 
Um, that wasn't the case anymore. It was, it was it's a miracle. Um, but so at this point, I was like, oh, wait, Jesus somewhere? I get to sing to Jesus? I want to be there. So the final moment of the semester happened, and I was like, I'm there. I'm there. Yeah, so uh, I wasn't planning to attend. And the wham actually happened in this room, but my beautiful girlfriend, Tara, suggested that we should go. And I only and only agreed because I still need flex credit. So <laughs> praise God for that. You know, he does miracle work through the things we don't like. Anyway, so I sat in the back corner of the room, actually right there where Nicole is, about that area. And um, I didn't plan to invest any of my energy at all because I just need the credit. I would just scan the QR code or whatever, you know, and get my credit. I'll be done, out of here. But God, my favorite two word in the Bible, but God. Being who he is, humorous and powerful and brilliant in his ways, brought me to him. And song after song, he would point it out to me, my pride issue inside me and how self-righteous I am. And especially through the song we just sang this morning, New Wine, and, and lyric goes, in the crushing, in the pressing, you are making new wine. And I am refusing to let God crushing me, and that's not good. <laughs> I am too self-absorbed, even though it might not look like it from the outside, I am such a pretentious human being. So I started to weep and cry, realize how unfaithful I have been. And I've been using God as a tool to get things I want, and as an identity I did not live out. So I call myself a Christian, but inside I have no love. I am nothing but a hypocrite, a Pharisee. So as the band, the worship continues and the band closes, Zeke came up to the stage. And he said something along the line, as someone in the crowd has pride issues and struggle with sin, but God will shatter those idols inside. And please raise your hand if you're struggling with sin of pride and self-righteous, and people around them, please gather around them and lay hands on them. So at this point, I'm sitting like right up here. Um, I don't think I even knew that Jerry was in the room, um, but like as soon as Zeke said this, I just like immediately turned around. I didn't, like, I didn't know why, but then I saw Jerry's hand in the back, and I, like, made a beeline over there. I was like, I'm going over there. I'm going to pray for him. Yeah. So, like, when Zeke said that, I felt like it's now God calling me. There's no way I can, you know, hide anymore. So it's like Jonah's story, you know. He's like, well, here I am. And I, so I raised my hand, and to my surprise, like, 10 or 20 people came around me and all lay hand on me. And of course, during this time, me and Tara were both sobbing intensely. And one hand among the 20 maybe caught my attention while this hand was holding, grabbing onto my shoulder firmly. And I thought, wow, this person is strong. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, as the prayer end and I wiped my tears, I looked up, it was the liberal redhead in front of me. <laughs> That was Lena, and at that moment, all of my biases were shattered, and my prejudice left me. I realized I was the one that had the plank of wood in my eyes, and I refused to notice it the entire time. Lena didn't hold grudges against me after the revival because she has love of Christ in her, and that is life-changing. She gave me a big hug, and I, of course, have to apologize for all, all that I've done to her. So. Just like that, God mended a relationship that seems unfixable to human. And now I am actually wearing her pants. 
<laughs> and that in the middle is a picture of her in my uh, hoodie and pants because she's being silly and decide to run out in the rain and get soaking wet. So <laughs> anyway, so you know, God fixed things that seems unfixable to us. And, you know, he opened the eyes of my heart and so that I might know the hope to which he has called me and the riches of his glorious grace and his incomparably great love for all of us who believe. Quote Ephesians chapter 1, verses 18 through 21. That power is like the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. So God created us differently, but he also gave us love. This testimony could only occur because how stupid I was, and it can only occur because how the Holy Spirit healed and replaced my heart of stone with the heart of flesh. It is not something I can do, I can't, and it is only through the power of God. Just like what Matthew 7 verses through, through 5 has said, you hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eyes. So I hope at the end, I hope and pray that God will open the eyes of our heart and replace our hearts of stone with the heart of flesh so that he can unfold his plan in you and me. I close with the class verse, First uh, Timothy chapter, Second Timothy, dang it. Was it. One, six and seven? Yeah, something like that. For the spirit of God, does not give, make us timid, but give us power, love, and self-discipline. Thank you.